Welcome to Cup the Bull, an insightful podcast which addresses the news of the day and the cultural issues plaguing our society. Bringing logic and context to these topics and discussing solutions too real for mainstream pundits. Now, here are your hosts, Charles Love, Shamika Michelle, and Wilfred Riley. Hello and welcome to Cut the Bull. I am Charles Love, alongside my co-hosts, Shamika Michelle and Wilfred Riley. And our guest this week is Tom Klingenstein. He is the chairman of the Claremont Institute. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we can talk Claremont, of course, but uh, what what made me reach out to you was the video of uh, Trump values that, you know, we talk about videos going viral and most of the time that these videos have, you know, 10 or 20,000 views. I think it's up to a million now. Uh, so, um, and it was interesting. You don't really hear a full-throated defense of Trump beyond, I like the policies, I don't like them. So I guess I want to start uh, by asking you what made you do the video on Trump's virtues? Um, I guess because I thought I had something to say, because I think that, as you say, it is customary to say about Trump, well, I like his policies, but I don't like the rest of him. But I think it, it's the rest of them, him that holds the key to what inspired a movement. And I think it's things like his courage and his independence, his authenticity, perhaps first and foremost was his patriotism, very overt. You know, we're at a time when I think there's a fair amount of self-loathing in America. And um, Trump has unlimited confidence in America. And I think at the moment that's very important because one way I think to describe the divide in this country at its most simple, at its most essential is between those who think America is good and those who think America is bad. And Trump is unequivocally on the side of the good. Um, you know, Trump, Trump did a lot of non-policy things. I think that uh, he laid bare the divide in this country. People say he exacerbated or he caused a divide. I think it's more accurate to say that he revealed a divide. Uh, he smoked rat, rats out of hiding. I think we wouldn't know just how corrupt the press is, just how corrupt the intelligence agencies are if we didn't have Trump. Um, to stand up against all the abuse he took, took takes an amazing amount of courage, right? Mm -hmm. um, so Trump has many virtues, I think, uh, quite apart from his policies. And I think they're the kinds of things that resonate with people. I mean, authenticity, for example, it's difficult not to be a phony in politics. And whatever you think about Trump, you know, you may not like what you see, and many people don't, but what you see is what you get. And that's a real virtue. He's a real outsider. I mean, he's got, you know, my, my speech wasn't a kind of balanced assessment nor was it necessarily an endorsement, though I'm sure he would take it that way. Um, as I was mentioning to you, Charles, before we went on the air, Trump called me and I don't know Trump from Adam. We've never talked. He saw my uh, speech, Trump's virtues, 
And as I mentioned to you, those are words that he probably rarely sees connected to one another. Mm -hmm. So I can assure you he was very pleased. And um, as I also mentioned, when he left me a message, he says, this is Donald Trump, your all time favorite president. And I thought, you know, how Trump, mm. right? You know, Trump is not a modest man, but I think in politics, modesty can be overrated. I also think that he's not necessarily more immodest. It's that he doesn't hide it. He's not embarrassed about it. And the thing about Trump, of, of which that's an example, is that he's comfortable in his own skin. And I think people recognize that and it resonates with people. So it was to call attention to these other aspects of his character. And as we consider alternatives to Trump, we ought to measure them at least to some degree by his virtues. Okay, so uh, that was a great opening. I guess I want to go to both Will and Shamika. Shamika, let's start with you. Just tell me what you thought uh, about the points Tom made in the uh, video. Well, first of all, I just watched this, Tom, in the last hour, and I agree with you. It was It's almost like it started or rekindled a fire within me. I've been saying for the last maybe year that, I didn't care whether Trump ran again or not. I almost was leaning towards him not running simply because I felt like the media puts out so much negativity about him that it's kind of hard to get people to see the policies because they're just focused on what the media tells you about this man. And so it's been really frustrating for me traveling the country, trying to speak um, you know, to Black people about policies or laws or things that I feel like would benefit the Black community, when you have these people and the first thing they say is Trump is racist or Trump doesn't like me or Trump, you know, the things that he says, he wants me to go back to, to Africa or whatever, I always have to get through a bunch of BS that the media has put out before I can even kind of reach the person. So I have been feeling like, who else do we have? Because it's just, it's just, it was just too much. But listening to your speech, I feel like it rekindled a fire in me that feels like Trump would be a great person to run again and to stand up to what we're seeing or the deep state or the, the, the liberal media, this kind of mob that we're really fighting against right now. And just hearing you talk about his virtues and some of the things about his character that people say they don't like are the same things that kind of have made him who he is and made him the right man for the job. I think about this guy that I dated after I was married. I kind of wanted to be free. Like I didn't want somebody telling me what to do. I didn't want somebody telling me what, you know, how to dress or who I could talk to. He was just very laid back. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I could date him. He, he's that's his character. He's laid back. But on the flip side, uh, he, he never stood up for anything. You know, he just went to work every day and came home when people would try to disrespect me. They would disrespect him and he wouldn't even speak up. 
He peed in the bed. Like it was just so many things that I was like, wow, I get this laid back man who will let me do what I want to do on one hand. But that character kind of spreads across to everything else that I don't like. And, you know, when you flip that, you're absolutely right. The things that people, you know, say they don't like about Trump are the exact things that we need in such a time as this, because we're it's like a fight between good and evil at this point. And so it just really made me take a a second look and kind of get myself together and just kind of be more uh, prepared for the fight and just back in this thing again, like I was in 2020. Well, Shamika, I want to say that it's probably more than just uh, him being laid back. Uh, but Will, what were your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, well, my first question was about Shamika's story. So, I mean, th- this guy literally <laughs> eat in the bed. Like, oh, is that literal or is that just like, yeah? No, it's literal. It's about- this is too much information, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I a little bit. There's a difference between a being bit. a little we bit soft bit. and having that type of personal problem in a relationship. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a real issue. Um, not, I thought this was I thought this was a political show. <laughs> we we go far afield. There's there's a lot of shit in politics. We just break whatever comes in, and we just keep but it flowing. That, I mean, that's that's a good redirect. Though. I mean, in terms of the basic idea of Trump's virtues. I think that there is some validity to that, obviously. Like, the if we're being blunt from a, kind of a political consulting perspective, the appeal of Trump and the reason for the hysterical, frenzied backlash to Trump was that he said kind of um, what Zach Goldberg, the young political scientist, calls the taboo obvious. I mean, so Trump came out and was discussing the immigration issue, and he said, obviously, the working class young men that we're getting from Mexico aren't the cream of that country. And he said it in kind of crude Trump fashion. But then he started proposing solutions. Like, why don't we build a big ass wall on the border? I used to own a construction company. I still do. I own a real estate brand. And to a certain extent, if you're talking to an ordinary person in the scenarios I usually give, the basketball court, the golf course, the barbershop, that's something that many, many people might ask. And it's something that's been done in other countries like Israel and, by the way, Mexico, with pretty significant success. So the the reason for that was that there was this big bluff Queens businessman saying this basic stuff. This is one of the things I try to do as a social scientist, by the way. I mean, like you're talking about why people do well in school. There are all these complex paradigms from you know, genetic hereditarianism to racism, the 100% predictors, how much you study for tests. So yeah, it it really is the simplest, funniest fact ever. It's my favorite statistic. But so Trump brought a lot of that kind of energy and he kind of crossed the gap between elite norms and reality. Now, I I also will say, you know, who I vote for depends on who the candidates are in the race. I probably would vote for Ron DeSantis among the options out there right now, bluntly. But I mean, I, a problem for Trump is that he is not, by most conventional standards, an especially good person. Uh, I mean, neither am I, but this is really obviously out there with Trump. I don't think Venezuelan voting machines stole the election from him. Um, the only saving grace there is that most human male leaders are probably sociopaths. So in the le- the Trump-Biden race, I mean, both of them actually had technically been accused of sexual assault at least once. You know, Biden's son is an internationally famous crackhead. So... Is Trump so far beyond the norm that you can't consider voting for him? No, I really don't think so. I don't think the anger at Donald Trump as versus, say, Biden and Tara Reid was due to that. It was due to saying the unsayable. So there, there, there's a lot of virtue to saying the unsayable because it's often true. 
Well, you make a good point. It leads me to what I want to go to next, though, Thomas. Will said that he kind of pointed out what the real problems with Trump were. But I think about this, the, the Trump virtues speech and who it was directed at. Obviously, it's trying to make the clear up some murkiness in the water so conservatives understand what the landscape is like. So you need to understand what you're really dealing with and understand what Trump really did as opposed to what we um, like to you know, harp on these certain pieces. Well, you, you don't, and then you said that, I thought this was a political show, but it's funny. We talk about a lot of serious topics in the culture, but very rarely do we just do politics head on. But the two times we did were both with conservatives with totally different views of, of, of Trump. So talking about your audience, we talked to Brett uh, Stevens and Brett basically left the party because of his hatred for Trump, right? So, so obviously you have some people out there and I know you're thinking of this as you do this speech, who are who are the, the the never Trumpers or the you know the the people who are saying well he's not a, a classic you know normal type of uh, politician so we don't like this and so don't you think and I know in some senses you do because we've talked before and your video kind of alluded to it that some conservatives don't really understand the stakes of what we're fighting against and they just think well we just get rid of Trump because he's kind of a mean guy and even if we lose you know, it's business as usual for a while, and then we move on. I don't think they, they, you know, we should use a term from the cultural standpoint that the left used, that there's an existential threat here. Like, the, that side really hates the country. And am I right? And if so, why don't so many normative Republicans get it? Well, I think you're right. I think it's a good observation, is that we have to look at a president or anybody in the context of the moment, in the context of the circumstances that apply. Trump is a wartime president. I think if we weren't in a war, he might be the worst president we ever had, right? But I think he has just the constellation of assets that fit the moment. You know, Will hesitates because, you know, Trump may not be a a great guy, but the question might be, can sometimes bad people be good presidents? I mean, the analogy that I sometimes use is General Grant in the Civil War. (laughs) Well, he was a drunkard and a man of loose morals. But at that particular moment, when we had to win, when the country was on the line, there was no other general willing to fight. Well, Lincoln thought Grant was his man. So the point is, at this moment, uh, I'm I'm not so worried about Trump's issues, so to speak. Um, You know, I I certainly am less worried. It's just like I said before, he's immodest. Well, okay, but he doesn't have to be my friend, Hmm. right? And so, um, but I, I think the point that you make is exactly right. And I think it is what causes the divide in the conservative party. If you don't think we're in a crisis, if you don't think we're in a war, then you don't need a wartime president and all these attributes that we talk about his negatives, then they matter more. And I think that's the great divide in the conservative movement in the Republican uh, party is people's assessment of where we are. And I think like you, Charles, that we're in a very, very dangerous place. But but to add to that, 
we already had those people. We knew about the never Trumpers who were fighting them from before. But would you say, I don't know what you think about this now, but I, I guess you would say it's the same, but it, different and worse, I guess, in a way. But are we in the same place that we were when he was playing? So you're like, it's a wartime president. We are in a war. We definitely agree we're still in a war. But has it shifted? Like some will say, like, I don't know what Shamika was probably saying. She was thinking before, but she's like, well, maybe because she's a Trump supporter. She's like, maybe it's just not the right time. Not because she was offended by Trump, but because it's like strategically, like going to Will's place, strategically, they, they all these people were rallying against him. He had the fortitude to fight through it. But now it's worse, right? Now they're going after him, uh, you know, Politically, they're going at him financially. They're trying to sue sure. him. They're trying to do everything to stop him. They're calling all these things. They're, they're, they're driving up further what they already had. They're lighting the fire. They're burning it hot. So will that make it worse? Just his presence make it worse? Like, do you lose? I guess, you know, we'll get to DeSantis and other things. But if we don't know who, it can't just be DeSantis. Obviously, it has to be other people that come up. But will those people have all the virtues of Trump? Probably not. But what is, is it a net gain or loss, what they lack versus what Trump brings you, but what he loses, like, I, I hear independents, for instance, say, I, or left-leaning people, I hate, I didn't like Trump, but I hate the left now. I hate what Biden's doing. I will vote for any Republican unless Trump runs, then I'm sitting at home, right? So when you look at those numbers, strategically, are we in a worse position for Trump, or are we still in that same position for Trump? Well, I think we're in a different position because I think now we have a clearer sense that we're in a war. I mean, I, that's partly what Trump did. Yeah. I think he laid bare the divide in this country. Now, the question, though, you ask is, OK, he might have been right for 2016. But now that we've laid this situation bare, we know where we are. Perhaps he's not right. Now, the analogy that I sometimes give is you have a company, there's a stage where you need an entrepreneur. But then there's a stage, right, as the company stabilizes, where you need somebody more like a manager. So the question is, at the moment, uh, would we be better suited by, you know, someone a little more conventional who understands? Now, talking about DeSantis, <laughs> I think DeSantis has a pretty good idea of the state we're in. And unlike Trump, he can articulate it, right? He understands that there's a force out there that wants to destroy the American way of life. And I think he can explain that force. I think he can explain uh, how, I, I call these people, by the way, woke communists, that's my name or the enemy totalitarian regime. Um, I think DeSantis can uh, explain how these people operate. Uh, I haven't heard a full-fledged explanation of where we are mm -hmm. uh, from DeSantis, right. but I've seen bits and pieces of it. Right. So the question is, you know, Trump may have been right for 2016. Is he right for 2020? I mean, it's a legitimate, legitimate question. Shamika, what do you I mean, think I'm about that? Shamika, do you think that, uh, you know, I know you said Tom's video lit a fire on you, but what do you think if you take a step back and think about, you know, how they're going to come after him versus now, you know, they're going to treat every Republican poorly, but will it do, do us a better service to have someone that's not quite as toxic? 
I do like DeSantis. I will say that. And I do think that DeSantis understands the, the condition of society right now and that we're in a war. So if DeSantis ran in the primaries, oh, let me just say, whoever got the nomination would get my vote and my support. Um, Wait a minute. You said the primaries. I got to go back. You, you would pull a Republican primary ballot? Oh, I, I I always vote um Republican in the primaries. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Or lately, I mean <laughs> recent years. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. Right. And right. they're always shocked because I remember the first time I went out to the polling place, I still vote in the same place that I have since I was 18. And initially they just had the Democrat ballot ready and I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> did they have to find one for you? Here's the thing. Did they have to go, hold on a minute. <laughs> they probably, yeah, they did have to go look for it. But, you know, now I think okay. they're like, okay, here's this nutcase. They know they need <laughs> two. One, and just in case another, you bring a friend. Right. Wow. Okay. But you would, you would, you don't, you're not sure yet, but you, you would, you would vote for whoever won, but you're not sure, like Tom, where we are in that case. Like, if, is it so bad that Trump couldn't, would be the wrong person or if he's still the, the right person? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we're in bad times, but I think DeSantis is capable as well. Okay. With, without the um, everything else that comes with Trump. I, I think he is. For what he's had to deal with in the last couple of years in Florida and the people coming at him and making up lies and, and kind of publicizing everything he does as if he's trying to bring death to Floridians, I think he kind of would know what he was up against. And if he went forward, I definitely think he could show us that he's fit for the job. And he does have good comebacks just like Trump, but they're not as 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 the, he doesn't punch as hard. So he punches back, which the, which will make conservatives happy. But he doesn't go, you know, he doesn't like, you know, get punched in the face and then shoots you with a gun. Right. He 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 meets uh, the, the, the attacks equally, I guess. So, Will, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like we're all saying the same thing. The basic question is, could someone do Trumpism? The good parts of it, the immigration stuff, the manufacturing stuff, the culture war stuff. More competently and less crookedly, I guess, would be the perception a lot of people would have, not inaccurately. Uh, I think the answer to that, and I, I respect Thomas's, I enjoyed the video as well, and we might have different opinions on this, but I, I think the answer probably is yes. And if you've talked to anyone on DeSantis's team, like we, we talk about having Christina Pashaw on the show, right. and there are some questions because it's an active campaign, but the whole thing with them is just, we're going to do the same thing, but we have a little more experience in governing. Trump had a lot of experience in kind of the media back and forth, and he did that really well. He didn't lose a lot going up against MSNBC. He had a lot of experience in business. That was his whole pitch. I'm a businessman. I get things built. Trump did not have a lot of experience governing and working with what's sometimes and fairly accurately called the deep state, working with governors, working across party lines with governors, but just keeping it on the low on both sides. I, I really think that that's kind of the strength of DeSantis. Again, I mean, I think most people that generally vote GOP, I, I think we've all said this, but if you have like Trump or DeSantis that comes out of that primary and is going up against Kamala Harris, I mean, I think that most people are going to have a really set opinion on who they're voting for. But just like to be real, with Trump comes all the stuff that we saw first with Trump and then with Biden as kind of the latest round of the culture war began, like all the riots and protests, all the crazy local AGs trying to indict him. 
FBI just raided his house. I think with composed Ron DeSantis in his Brooks Brothers suit, it's going to be a little harder to sell him as Hitler. Now, they're going to try. <laughs> the last line for me, but their, their pitch is going to be like a more competent version. You're already seeing this. A, a nicer more competent Hitler. version of evil. Trump was Mussolini. DeSantis is Hitler or right. Ribbentrop or something. Right. But I, I think most people looking at like Ron DeSantis, this Italian relaxed guy with his wife and his multi-ethnic cabinet, all the depot and all those guys. I don't think it's going to work. It has a better chance of working with Trump. But 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 to that, uh, Tom, Tom. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to. I'm not a political consultant. You guys know more about, you know, uh, electoral politics than I do. But the Republicans seem to be in something of a pickle, because if they go with DeSantis, I think they're going to put off some significant part of Trump's base, which will feel betrayed. And if they go with Trump, there are just so many people that hate Trump, mm -hmm. right? So many Republicans who are going to, um, you know, sit out this election. Right. So here's my facetious. Uh -oh. Take this facetiously. Mm -hmm. So Trump gets indicted, then convicted, and from jail, he says, vote for DeSantis. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> There's no country left if they put him in jail during an election year. I actually think that would be unbelievably ideal to some extent. Like, Thomas phrased that very intelligently. Like, if that happened, and of course, DeSantis would have to show loyalty, pardon Trump, so on. I mean, but... If that happened, that would not be a non-ideal situation for the Republicans. The worst case for the Republicans, again, quick version, would be Trump and DeSantis, both of whom are fighters, run against each other and kick the crap out of each other. Yeah. That is the nightmare. And that's something that I think a lot of people are worried about. And I don't I don't think you would necessarily do this with a fellow Republican. But like, so what if Trump runs against DeSantis, loses and says the election was stolen? What happens then? We all know it's possible. Right. So, I mean, in that kind of that kind of muckraking scenario, that's that's pretty bad. And the bad thing about this is that the Democrats are so bad right now that, you know, in a nor if, if, in normal world, it would be a non-issue. Just run anybody and that's going to be the next president. It's just that bad. Right. But because you have all this, I mean, really, it's that bad. Right. But the Democrats I know don't like Biden, don't like hate Kamala even more. Right. It'd be perfect. He's 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 walking around lost. It'd be perfect. But you have this scenario. But then there's the one we're not talking about. Let's say Trump somehow runs, dodge the indictments, wins the wins the primary, goes out and, and, and either, you know, so now you got the general does he win. But let's say he wins. Let's follow it through and he wins. So we're, we're worried about if he's the right person for the times culturally. But then we have the other problem. We all made the point about how he was a businessman and he was good and he was honest and he was a fighter, but he didn't have the political experience. So he exposed, as you said, Tom, the deep state and everything that was happening, you know, with these unelected bureaucrats. But will he be have a better uh be better attuned to it and have a better game plan on how to address it? Or is it just the same thing all over again? Because they're still there. They're not elected. No. I think that's the question. So I asked him, what are the two or three things you do differently were there a next time? Mm. And he gave me what I thought was a good answer. He said, people, people, people. He knew that he was ill-served, oftentimes undercut. Mm. Now, he told me this. He said he'd only been to Washington 17 times before he was president. 
which seems an unbelievably low number for a man of that position and age. Mm -hmm. But he told it to me by way of explaining he didn't really know his way around. He took personnel advice from the wrong people, from rhinos, he said, right? So then I asked him, okay, what are you going to do differently this time? He says, well, now I know the right people. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I, it, it, it's not hard for me to believe that that he learned. Now, the other part of the question, which I wanted to ask him is, is he doing any planning, right? He, he must have a better sense now of what he wants to accomplish. But you don't think of Trump as a great strategic planner. Trump shoots from the hip. That considered, he hits many targets. But I think he'd hit a few more targets if he actually did a little bit of planning. I didn't get into that with him, but it was on my mind. And um, I think it's the right question. I wish I knew he was going to call you. I would have fed you some questions. I was like, ask him, ask him if, to stop having these damn rallies. Oh, they're <laughs> so fun. If, if one more person tells you how fun, I don't care. I believe all of you. I don't care how fun they are. I don't oh, care. Gosh, it's an experience, Charles. Oh you really need to do one. But, you know, I I, but here's girl. the thing, though. This is what I don't get. It's it's the same thing with Lindsay coming out. You know, we we have this win. The the, the right saying, "Yay, Roe v. Wade." We should have gone with the states anyway. And the next day, it's like, let's have a federal law. It's not about whether it's even right or wrong. You got to be. And he's a politician, strategically. In an election year, when the Democrats are tripling over themselves, they were going to hand you the cake. And you just took the cake and slapped it into your own face with these moves they did over the summer. Right now, they'll probably still get the House because they don't need that many votes, but they probably won't get the Senate. But it's because of things like that, right? It's all the, it's, it's the way they roll things out. It's the way that, it's, it's Roe v. Wade gets repealed and the next day, Missouri's like banned at conception. It's like, I mean, can you do learn something from the Democrats? The good Democrats, whether you like them or not, they would have been quiet. They would say, this is time to come together. And then after the election, they would have pulled the ripcord. And they would have did all the crazy. The, the Republicans start doing it right away. And that's all I'm saying. It's nothing against Trump. And I, I hear the fun. He's he's doing behind the scenes. Well, obviously, they're thinking about running. That's fine. But his base is there. And he's not going to lose them in four or five months. What I'm saying is what we're doing, what, what I see politicians on the right doing is feeding the Democrats what they need. They, they need a lifeline. And the Republicans keep giving them a lifeline, right? Right? They're, they're, they're drowning. We pull them out and set them on the side and resuscitate them again. <laughs> Right. Why? Why? Just do all that after the election. You got till 24, 23 is the year you run. Why are you doing rallies now? Because all they do is they get mad and say, see, he's going to run. Let's indict him. Letitia James, what you got? Right. Now we say Lindsey comes out and say that. See, I told you they were lying. They didn't want it to go to the states. They really just want to take all our rights. You better go vote. This is the black issue. Right. And that's what they tell the black women. But they wouldn't have had those things. It's silly, but they wouldn't have been able to do those things had it not been for Republicans making it easier for them. I just don't know why. <laughs> no one wants to respond. <laughs> no, I agree with you, Charles. Um, so they should have sat quiet and then waited until after the election. Just like I feel like the gas prices may shoot up after the election, This these midterms, and they're sitting quiet and everybody's like, oh, the gas prices, they're coming down. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's just wait until after the election to see what happens. But I, I feel like that's what the Republicans do all the time. They 
it's almost like, do, do you want to lose? When you look at what they do sometimes, and that's one of the things I'm glad Trump said, people, 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 because some of the people that he had around him, it's like, is he a good judge of character or what? Because every time someone left, they was coming out with a tell-all book. And I'm thinking, well, well, how do you choose your friends and the people that you trust and the people that you have around you? I wish one of my close friends would come out with a tell-all book. I know they never would do it, but I wish they would try. You know, but every time I turned around, someone was coming out with the book and I was just thinking, gosh, he has to do a better job in the people that he choose to be around. But I'm going to do something I don't I really do. Shemika. I'm going to defend Donald Trump in his defense. The man, as Tom told us, had only been to the city. He's got a tower. He's got a hotel there. And he's only been there 17 times. So he didn't know anybody. And everybody was like, yeah, when he won, they were like excited. We're going to get some fresh blood or whatever. And I'm just looking at it just with logical size, not saying, I know you're excited, but explain to me how the guy, no matter how famous or how rich, is going to step into that position with no political experience and just bring his own people. I would. But it's not impossible. He had he'd be like, well, I don't know how to do this. You need somebody that knows where the bathroom is. Right. So he's going to he's going to he's going to say, OK, I want to bring 60 percent of my own people. Let's say high, something high like that, 70 percent. But 30 percent, I know I got to have Washington insiders help me pick those people. And they picked the wrong people. He picked who they told him to pick. So I don't think, you know, he could have done a better job. But that's hindsight. But at the time, I don't think I think he was in a really difficult position, which was going to lend themselves to people saying, see, that's why we need another politician. So we get when you get a politician, a lifelong politician like a Biden, you get all the things you don't like, but then you get some uh, you know, stability. So there was going to be some of that. Now, the fact that it happened four or five times, I can't really give them that. But at the beginning, I knew there were going to be some hiccups. Will. One of, yeah. I mean, one of the issues that has to be discussed, honestly, with that, though, was the back and forth backstabbing throughout the Trump administration. I mean, there were a lot of people that if you were a conservative Republican were pretty good, like Jeff Sessions, that left after these complicated, I mean, bar, after these complicated exchanges with Trump. You can you can debate who's at fault in each one of these cases. But if you're a leader, you kind of have to keep the ship in order. I mean, when you see people starting with Mad Dog Mattis that are pretty well qualified people, I think Ben Carson made it to the end. But I mean, like when every like people were playing Trump bingo at parties, like who's still left from the original administration administrative team. So for Trump to come back, it's not that he can't do it. But all of those things would have to be fixed. Like he would have to convince people he was a better possibility than DeSantis. He would have to convince a lot of Republicans that the same kind of back and forth knife work wasn't going to go on. And he'd also have to convince people he wasn't going to hire just nutcases like Amarosa. I mean, like no personal offense, but I mean, she wrote this. The mooch, the mooch. Yeah, Scaramucci. I'm like, what's this? Is this Amarosa's book here? Yeah, unhinged and insider's account of the Trump White House. Uh, People sent me a couple of these for review and I just kind of, you know, threw them in the round file. But it, all of that would have to be changed to some extent for Trump to present himself as more appealing than, you know, Ron D. One other quick comment. When you talked about the Democrats looked like they were definitely going to lose this midterm election. Yeah. I mean, like we basically lost a war in Afghanistan. We pulled out and there were people like trying to climb up the sides of planes. You know, crime is up to the same levels as 1994. What are the two million illegal aliens across the border so far? So I think everyone thought that, you know, and people were making jokes like, yeah, the, the Democrats can't tell what a woman is. How could they win? 
And the the answer was that then things started happening, like Roe versus Wade getting overturned, like major moves. Uh, the the feminist Kathy Young calls this the crazy off. Like people just want one sane adult to run from either party. No Hunter Biden, no bags of crack, no hooker allegations, no women coming out of the closet. Something we've seen since Bill Clinton, with a few exceptions. Just like one competent adult, and then they would vote. The question is, is that is that on the table in like a Trump Biden race? I I don't know. So so what do you, Tom? What do you see? I mean, from this cultural landscape, regardless of which one of them runs, what are they going to be up against, and what do you think um, um, the Democrats are going to try to counter? Besides just you're racist, you're Nazi, you're crazy. But what is what is their their plan? What what is their plan to counter a DeSantis or a Trump? Because I'm assuming they're assuming it's going to be one of the two. You know, you're, you're never supposed to say, I don't know. But that's my inclination is to say, I don't really know. Right. Um, maybe one of your guests can start me off. Uh, me I don't know. Uh, well, what do you think the Democrats will, will run on besides Hitler crazy racist? Well, I mean, I, I think you and Tom both mentioned that. I think that'll be their pitch. I, I think so. They this, have nothing else? No. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, they have nothing else. I mean, this is something, I, as you as you guys in the audience know, I've spent a fair amount of time on social media. I'm in a lot of these meetings and so on. I've been known to argue on Twitter and Facebook. And really almost every attack, whether it's Ibram Kendi's like all gaps are due to racism, it's Robin D'Angelo, it's race to dinner. Like all this stuff goes back to the same thing. Derek Bell, Richard Delgado. It's all just sort of, yes, you're a bigot, you're a Nazi, and the logic that you're using against me is bigot Nazi logic. And I, I think they're going to double down on that. I mean, you saw the New York Times today run a piece that was talking about how it might be a waste of time to look for new drugs to treat type 2 diabetes unless we first dealt with racism. And it was this, this headline like, can we overcome poverty? Can we overcome racial conflict? What purpose medicine? You know, and I, I think that's going to be the take. Like, any, basically, anyone who runs on the GOP side is going to be presented as being against the cultural revolution. Mm -hmm. So, like, transgender stuff's going to play a big role. Like, fourth wave feminist stuff's going to play a big role. And race is going to play a big role. I don't, I don't think there are going to be any surprise hitters coming out of the bullpen. But, but you got to, I thought you used to have to move to the middle one. Most Democrats and most normal people don't like all that stuff. They're against the trans and the this and calling every white person racist and all that kind of stuff. So, they can't do that. In their prime, I mean, I mean, they can't start run the whole campaign like that, can they? Yes. You yeah, say yes. I, I think they can, and a lot of this has to do with a lot of this has to do with the disproportionate impact of social media. Mm -hmm. Like that's really it. Like I don't think I think most normal citizens, black or white, Democrat or Republican, are pretty sane. Mm -hmm. Like I think if you just put it to a vote in any city, you'd get either an eight week or fifteen week abortion bill after a couple hours of discussion. But that that's not what politicians are targeting at right now. I think they're mistargeting. I could be wrong. But like Corey DeAngelis, on, another guy on Twitter, the school yeah. choice advocate, ran a poll today that was like, do you support or oppose books that include pornographic sex scenes being in elementary school libraries? And it was, I mean, it's kind of a leading question, but that's what you get into with gender queer and so on. And it was like 94% oppose and, you know, 6% support. So I, I don't know if doubling down will help the Democrats, but I think they'll do it. Wow. Well, I get. well, well it, it, in that case, I guess then the other question would be not the Democrats, but on the Republican side, who else is out there besides Trump and DeSantis? 
you know, because you know, whenever the, the out party runs, it's like a, a free for all, right? It's always 18 to 20 people running, right? But you don't hear any names besides those two. I mean, I know some people will probably be, some never Trumpers will run because they hate Trump and DeSantis probably too. But the, anybody else, like you say, Will, they want in a, a normal adult in the room. Those people will probably be like, I want no parts of this. Don't you think, Tom? They'd be like, I don't want to run. Well, there are a lot of people out there that want to run, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people out there running. I, you know, I think DeSantis is, um, you know, leagues ahead of anybody. And I think, I mean, he obviously he's had a very successful run as governor. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, what distinguishes him is what I believe to be his understanding of the war and the nature of the war. He understands, I think, the severity of the situation. Answer Pompeo or Nikki Haley. All right. Don't, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So, that to me would be my number one criteria. Does he know what time it is? And I think DeSantis, again, I haven't heard a full-fledged explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, see, if if the tactic of the left is to call everybody racist, right? But Right, which most Republicans are reluctant. Oh, can 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 you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. I I think it's clear now. Okay. So, you know, most Republicans to to to, um, address this issue of race as are um, as are Democrats, and that was one of the virtues of Trump. As you were saying before, everybody said he's a racist, and they said it over and over and over. I don't think Trump was a racist at all. I think Trump was a guy who grew up in Queens uh, among various different ethnic groups. Um, I don't think he was a racist, but that was the way they characterized him. I think Trump is quite colorblind. You know, when he called, um, who did he call, Maxine Waters? dumb or she had a low IQ. Well, that was a little bit uncouth. It was politically incorrect. Nobody else would have done that. It's true. True. It's true. (laughs) And Trump, you know, Trump is an equal opportunity criticizer. You know, we used to call that colorblindness. (laughs) And so um, that's one of the virtues of Trump. And I wish he did more was stand up and combat this idea that we're systemically racist and about to be overrun by white supremacists, right? That's the big lie, that America's systemically racist and about to be overrun by white supremacists. If they can convince us of that, then they're a long ways towards getting their agenda. If they can convince us, as Will was saying, that all differences are in outcome are due to racism and nothing but racism. Well, they will have won the war at that point. A seed to their agenda, regardless of what it is. So we have to, Republicans have to figure out at the very least a rhetorical strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
because that's that's really what they're hitting. Well, I guess one last thing I want to ask you about the video is that obviously, like I said, it went viral, it's doing well, over a million views. Trump seems to like it. But outside of Trump, what is the uh, the uh, feedback been? I mean, would you say, I'm sure you've gotten other calls, you see some of the comments, so has most of it been positive? Do you think some of the, the, the conservatives who were kind of on the fence took a different view after viewing that? Or what do you think uh, most people thought of it? Well, most people like it, I think, because who's, who's going to watch it but somebody who likes Trump, right? Um, well, no, people said, I got it, I got it, I know you, and I got it because somebody sent it to me. Oh. Because we but, were having some debate about Trump. They're like, listen to this, it's amazing. And it's like, ha, this is what I told you. I say, I agree with everything he said. It had nothing to do with my argument against Trump. It wasn't about him running. It was about all the damn rallies. But anyway, but uh, so I think other people might be watching it. Yeah, no, no, no I, I think so, too. Uh, you know, what I like to think is that what I'm trying to do is give. Excuse me, give voice to. That may not be fully formed. Right, that are more in their gut, that are in coate, right? And you know, um, again, elicit and articulate something where people can say, you know, I wish I had said that, right? I believe everything that guy said, but maybe I couldn't have said it quite so neatly. And by the way, that's the job of politicians: mm -hmm. is to give voice, to articulate what people are thinking, but maybe can't articulate as well. It's the job of the politician to help people conceptualize what's happening at the moment, give them a framework, right? A choice, political things are choices. You're for abortion, you're against abortion, you're for capitalism, you're for socialism. And in this case, again, one way to, to um, formulate the choice I did earlier, which is between America's good versus America's bad. Mm -hmm. Another way to formulate it is where Will was getting to, I think. On the one hand, our American understanding of justice is individuals pursuing happiness, mm -hmm. right? That society will produce outcome differences. Men and women are different. They value different things. They have different talents. A lot of subcultures are different. Free individuals will produce outcome inequality. The other side wants outcome equality. Those don't go together. The more freedom, the less outcome equality. The more outcome equality, less freedom. That's why we're in a war, because we have two societies with different objectives, different ends. And when you have different ends, can't be negotiated. It's like in the Civil War. One side thought slavery was good and so wanted to expand it. The other side thought it was bad and so we can track two directions. And that, I think, is where we are now. Uh, I don't believe all the Democrats believe you know, all this stuff about outcome equality, but the party seems controlled by the radical left that very much believes in what Ibram Kendi believed. Mm.
right, that he see differences in outcome, I see racism, right? right? And what I see and what most Americans see, well, are, are groups with different cultures and people who have different preferences and talents and right. values. I mean, Asians, for example, whether they're smart or not, I know they value education. And as someone was saying before, um, there's a pretty easy correlation between studying hard and output, right? And it so happens that the Asians, their culture is such as the, was the case with the Jews in earlier periods where they put a high premium on education, right? Other groups don't. So you expect to find more Asians in our best schools. So in any case, that's sort of the framework that I'm using. Free individuals on the one hand, on the other hand, people who want outcome equality, and there's only one way to get outcome equality, and that's tyranny. Right. You've got to perpetrate lies and shut up people who challenge the lies. And that's where we are. And that's why we need people like Trump and maybe DeSantis too, who are really willing to challenge the lies. Wow. Well, I, I thought the video was great. I, th I think that's a great summation of where we are in the video. And um, I think this will be well received. I probably get beat up for my attacks on the rallies. But other than that, I think it was great. And I think people should go check out that video, Trump's Virtues. He is Tom Klingenstein, the chairman of the Claremont Institute. Tom, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you all. I appreciate it. Good night. Country to say, cause I'm Patriot J and I'm saving a day.